Welcome to episode 164. Today, we learn about collaborating in dual language programs. Welcome to the Teaching Multilingual Learners podcast. This podcast celebrates teachers who answer the calling to serve multilingual students and their families. Even though I speak multiple languages, most of them poorly, I really never thought about collaborating with my dual language colleagues. However, we serve the same students and really the same mission. I don't teach in a dual language setting and I wasn't fortunate enough to have gone through dual language programs when I was a student. But when I saw this new book from Dr. Joan Lachance and Dr. Andrea Hungensfeld, I knew that this was the missing piece to my collaboration and also the field. In this episode, Joan and Andrea will share practical ways we can merge collaboration and dual language instruction together. Now, on to today's podcast. I am so excited again to have the most visited expert on the, in the podcast, Dr. Andrea Hugginsville, back with us. And this time she has brought a colleague, Joanne Lachance. Am I saying your name, last name right? It's Well, it depends on how you want to say it. If it's French, um, it's Lachance. And if it's just Southern English here in North Carolina, it's La Chance. So okay. either way, it works great. Well, we will go with uh, La Chance then. It's how okay, beautiful perfect. that is. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Andrea is known, Dr. Hangesfeld is known for her prolific work in teacher collaboration. And when she brought out this book on uh, collaborating in dual language, uh, programs, I was like, yes, I need to have her on the podcast again. And uh, Dr. Lachance, if she partnered with you, that means you are a renowned expert in this field, in particular, dual language instruction. So it's an honor to have you both on. I am so excited. This book has been waiting for the field. This book has been waiting for, in the field, this book, we have been waiting for you to produce this book. Thank you, Tan, so much for having us on this podcast, but I need to make a really important correction here. It was actually Dr. Lachance who brought me along. So she <laughs> was the originator of this idea that we need to marry the dual language programming, dual language pedagogy with collaboration and co-teaching. And she invited me to come along. And this has been in the works for a long time, but I'm gonna let her give you that backstory. But I so appreciate being on this podcast again and your continued support for collaboration in all program models, across program models. Thanks so much, um, Andrea. That's really wonderful. And I I know that um, there's sort of a um, an agenda or an order to our questions today. So I'm happy to push pause on that um, in terms of the background and the backstory of it. Um, and I just have to also say that I can't imagine having done this work with anyone other than Andrea. So the honor is really all mine. And thank you so much for having us. Oh, the love is going around. The good vibes are already starting. <laughs> it's true. Let's start here. Can you please briefly tell us about how you spend your days and where you spend your days? 
Yeah, sure. So I can um, let you know I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. I am first an educator. I work in the teacher preparation programs at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte and also direct the graduate TESOL, Teaching English as a Second Language, uh, licensure programs, coursework, also our master's. And then we have a, a minor in TESOL education that is at the undergraduate level. So um, I'm thrilled to work with educators from our state and across the region. And I'm an author and love dual language beyond um, expression. I have sometimes have no words to explain how much I really am committed to this work with dual language. I think everyone is um, is worthy of being in a multilingual school in a multilingual environment. And if I could wave a magic wand and make all schools dual language, that would already be done. So it's wonderful. And I am a family member too. I have a great family here in Charlotte, a husband and a son. And I live in Vermont now. I used to live in New York, but I still work at Molloy University on Long Island remotely. After many years of directing a doctoral program focusing on social justice and equity, I returned to my first love, which is TESOL teacher education. And I teach um, in a fully online program using Canvas and other fabulous online tools. So being able to live in Vermont and work with educators who choose to earn a master's degree in TESOL or bilingual education at Molloy. I'm very happy to work with them. I'm also an author and I'm also a mom. So I think we just try to juggle it all. And um, Joan and I also love to go into schools to offer professional learning opportunities, to offer professional support, coaching, leadership support, and so forth. Uh, when you both said you're authors and moms and uh, full-time worker, full-time employees, like I, I just, you just sound like super, superhuman. And so you just do it. You just kind of one foot in front of the other. Yeah. But one day at a one day at a time, definitely. Now it's time to talk about your book. Um, every book has a seed. What was the seed for this book? This was a phenomenal uh, process. So Andrea came to North Carolina several years ago, and we were honored with her presence to give at the state level some professional learning about co-teaching and collaboration for English learners. And at that time, I was a consultant as well with the North Carolina Department State of, uh, Department of Education. And Everything that I was learning alongside Andrea while she was here, my mind kept going back to, wow, do we need this in dual language? Every single moment of those days while she was here, I kept thinking, we need this in the context of dual language. And it's a perfect match. It's a little bit more complex with a few added layers but the conceptual foundation is exactly the same and so critically needed in our field. And so little by little, I just began to have these snippet conversations with Andrea, like trying to literally plant the seeds for thinking. 
And the timing was not ideal at that point for either one of us. We both had different things going on professionally. Um, I was working on tenure. She had other commitments as well and, and authoring many other books at that time. And I thought, you know, I'm just going to keep looping back around. And when the time is right, we will both know. And that's exactly what happened. We finally got to the point where we had a conversation and um, I just said, you know, are you, are you ready to think about this? And she said, yeah, I think now is the time. And so I was able to work very closely with her professional and personal contacts um, because she has such a, an amazing reputation with Corwin and other publishers. She's a best-selling author. So she helped mentor me through this process. And it has been the most meaningful experience in my career. I can honestly say that. I am, I always say I'm president of her fan club. <laughs> Maybe not president, but do you know what I mean? Like I adore working with her and she's so open-minded and we just, we just sort of made it fit and the timing was ideal. So that's my, my seed to tree <laughs> story. <laughs> so before I go to, Angie, do you want to, do you want to ask something? Yes, Joan, that was just too much. <laughs> I so <True>. appreciate <laughs> your friendship, your, our professional partnership uh, for this work and beyond, because you opened my eyes to yet another program model where collaboration is a must. And I've learned just as much from you as you learned from me. This was an amazing two-way partnership where I've always felt that writing a new book is a process of learning about something. You learn about yourself. You learn about your new co-author. This was our first co-authored piece, longer piece. We co-authored research articles before. Yeah. We co-presented. So it was not a brand new partnership when we began working on this book. But when you create something, it's always a pathway to learning and new discoveries. And Joan was my guide to dig really, really deep into dual language education and to value and appreciate this field. And I've learned a lot from you and I will cherish this opportunity forever. So Joan, I'm gonna share, ask you this then. Since you're the expert here um, in this conversation with dual language, would you share with us um, a story that has really stuck with you, that you've seen the power and the magic of dual language, and it, maybe that story is connected to collaboration? Absolutely. Uh, there are so many wonderful stories. So the first one that comes to mind is, I mentioned earlier that I'm also a mom. And my son, who is now 21, came to live with me and my husband when he was eight years old and he was fully French speaking. Uh, my, my husband is from Montreal. And so he and his son, when we got married, came obviously to North Carolina to live with us. And, and fast forward, I was so committed to maintaining, helping him maintain and grow his French language because that's what he was coming with very little English and I helped him get into a, a dual language immersion school here in Charlotte 
And I was suddenly faced with trusting the process because prior to that, I had a really close relationship with Wayne Thomas and Virginia Collier. As you're well aware, their research in our field is pivotal. And so I, I was suddenly looking around thinking, okay, I've been talking this talk. Now I actually have to walk the walk. And as a parent, my role switched to see how will this uh, dual language environment assist with his development of biliteracy. And I jokingly say he's an, he was um maybe what we would call just a common student. It wasn't as if there was some uh, talented, like he wasn't over here on the extra smart. He's very smart, don't get me wrong. What I'm trying to say is there wasn't another anomaly with his language development, okay? So I just had to trust dual language. Fast forward again, he entered in the middle of the school year. By the end of the school year, he was scoring in the highest levels of the English and math state grade level tests. And so I was able to then step back really as a parent and say, wow, this is what it needs to be. Now, in terms of your the other part of your question with the collaboration piece, I sincerely believe the reason that that, one of the main reasons that that happened was because his classroom teacher collaborated regularly with the ELD teacher at the school, not so much to force the pullout services, but to really look at, okay, what's happening in the general education classroom? Where might he need extra language support or not? And how are we going to look at his character and his personality and where he would thrive the most? And had and he also had an IEP at that time. So there were there were conversations with the special education people. And uh, what they what they determined was he functioned better when he was alongside his peers, no surprise, because he had more authentic opportunities to be learning language in both French and English. And so that sort of was the really solid point for me that, okay, I've been reading about this. I've been observing other people's children in the classroom. Now I've seen one that lives in my home and just sort of watched him develop to be this biliterate bilingual person. Well, that's an amazing story that shows the statistics that like Dr. Virginia Collier and Wayne, Tom, uh, Wayne Thomas. Thomas. Yes. They, their research found that, oh my goodness, when we looked at all the variables, taking like poor schools, rich schools, rural, urban, the thing that was a common denominator between the highest performing students were that they were in dual language programs, right? And so I am, like being part of the field, I know the power of dual language programs. Though I work in a sheltered English program, I wish I was working in in a dual language program because I know that's how we, the greatest growth is, right? So it's great to see that this is a statistic, but there's like a real life, to, a face to that. You just shared uh, with that with us, Joan. Thank you. Let's move to the book now. The structure of the book follows the collaborative instructional framework. Before we get into the chapter, can we talk about that framework as the structure of the book, Andrea? Sure. So just a reminder, if um, your listeners might not be familiar with the exact structure of the collaborative framework that we're using, 
It has four phases. It starts with co-planning, co-teaching, co-assessment, and reflection. Now, it's very interesting that you might think that in a dual language program, not everybody co-teaches. So one of our models was that you don't have to co-teach. You could still collaborate. You could still co-plan, and you have to co-plan. You're still going to look at your students' um, progression, and you look at data together as the students develop proficiency, language, literacy, and greater appropriate content in two places, in two languages. And it's a continuous cycle of reflection and improvement. But if you have a chance to co-teach or team teach, creating a partnership teaching situation, which we can talk about a little later, then the dual language program will also be most um, fitting for the collaborative cycle or vice versa. The collaborative cycle will be well fitting with the dual language programs. And we also want it to be consistent. This cycle of collaboration actually comes to us from special education. Maria Dove and I have adapted it. We adopted it first and then we adapted it to the uh, uh, ELD English language development or multilingual development um, context. And it made perfect sense to continue with the same model so that the message is consistent to educators that indeed you can collaborate across program models. Yeah, the, your instructional framework was so pivotal for me. When I started co-teaching, I thought it was just co-teaching. And then I saw the model, I was like, oh, wait, there's more than that. And then when I read your title, I was like, wait, of course, dual language can involve collaboration as well. So I'm happy that you have uh, married them both together. Let's talk about chapter two, which is about the foundations of dual language programs. Can you talk about uh, the foundational principles, uh, Joanne? Joan. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a really wonderful, um, well, all the chapters are wonderful, but I love this chapter so much, especially because it presents itself in the, in the beginning of the book. It is an, um, sort of a, a look back in history and then moving us forward so that we can try to catapult what we've already learned, right? Like catapult from what we've already learned in the field. It's no secret that bilingual education has had a bumpy ride in our history in the United States. It's, um, it's very common that even in current days of our, our current era of education, there are hot topics that are still out there in our field. Um, you know, who needs dual language more? How can we have more highly qualified teachers? I mean, the the array of discussions is quite broad. And so it was important for us to look back, understand and talk about these sort of tumultuous pieces in our history, and then really promote the idea that dual language education is for everyone. It must be an equitable process rather than pulling out very specialized populations of people who should have dual language in air quotes, right? Well, these kids need it the most, or these kids should have it. It's for everyone. And if we had enough highly qualified teachers in dual language, 
that wouldn't be an issue, right? But there, that's one of the that's one of the the barriers is that we don't have enough teachers. There are other social barriers. That's not a secret either. Um, and and from there, we really just founded the chapter on the four pillars of dual language education. That's the theoretical piece that lifts chapter two up, especially with the recently added fourth pillar, the addition of that fourth pillar related to critical consciousness. So it's about high academic achievement, biliteracy develop, development, sociocultural development, and then that, that added piece of, of critical consciousness. So that's really what chapter two is about. Would you briefly run through each of those four principles? Absolutely, absolutely. So the bilingual and biliteracy pillar in dual language, that has to do with understanding how literacy develops when you're when you're moving from a monolingual stance to a bilingual stance, because what we really need to avoid is just duplicating monolingual literacy development so that you have monolingual one, monolingual two, I'll use Spanish as the example, you know, English literacy, Spanish literacy, rather than understanding how the brain works for biliteracy development. So that's pillar one. Pillar two talks about grade level academic achievement. We absolutely talk about rigor in our field. Well, what does rigor mean? It has to be that the classroom environment promotes lessons that are standards-based, grade-level appropriate, where students have as many opportunities as possible to co-create this language development using higher levels of thinking, as opposed to rote memorization of vocabulary in isolation. So it needs to be multi-dimensional, um, lots of interaction, lots of dialogue with the students. Sociocultural competence is the third pillar. And that is understanding, not sort of just from a superficial perspective about, oh, your culture is nice or your culture is um, interesting. It's more about understanding the, the cultural depths of our identities because we all come to school with these multiple layers of who we are and our cultures and our home culture, whether it's international, domestic, regional. I mean, we talk here in North Carolina about how the culture in the mountains is completely different than the culture at the beach, right? So that's part of understanding and honoring the assets that all of our students and teachers bring into the classroom. So the final and fourth pillar, which is equally important with critical consciousness is how can we begin to break down the barriers and not just discuss critical consciousness, but demonstrate and sociocultural competence, but demonstrate practices in our field that aim to disrupt the inequities. And when I say disrupt, that sounds sort of like a harsh term. Um, and at some level, perhaps it is. Our stance on this is that it can also be done with kindness and that it can come from a heart space and really begin with let's build these bridges through our heart spaces. So those are the four pillars. 
Well, that was a brief uh, introduction. We're going to have to have you back to talk more extensively about dual language program just by yourself, Dr. Lachange. Let, let's move to uh, chapter three, which is about the first phase of the collaborative instructional cycle, which is about collaborative planning. What does that look like in dual language programs? That's a really important um, question to unpack because collaboration is a must in any educational context whether you have English learners, multilingual learners or not, whether you have dual language programs or not. But when it comes to creating a viable dual language program, collaboration is a non-negotiable. There are so many partner educators who have to collaborate with each other. First of all, the dual language partners, if there are two educators who provide the program to the same group of students, but we often have teaching assistants, paraprofessionals, instructional aides who are multilingual and are pivotal to the success of this program. The other grade level teachers at the elementary level or other content area teachers with whom we need to collaborate to make sure that there is consistency in the core content um, curriculum delivery. English language development specialists if our students are part of a dual language program that also supports um, a new language development and additional language development in the international context, special educators, instructional coaches, administrators, um, we can also collaborate and we should be collaborated with parents and community members. So we have broadened collaboration in our chapter to include a much broader um, range of of educators and non-educators, but also if you think about how collaboration is going to vary greatly if an, a dual language educator works with a teaching assistant to maybe focus on some effective or efficient day-to-day -day management of resources, connecting with parents, inviting um, others into a two-way dialogue about the child's progress. So they have a really important role in this um, context. And also um, collaboration will be quite different when we think about instructional coaches who could enter the dual language classroom and engage in job embedded professional conversations. But getting back to what Joan just depicted, the four pillars of dual language education, that's what we bring into chapter three. And we look at co-planning more specifically between dual language educators or among, um, dual language educators through the lens of those four pillars. So that's what sets this book apart from all of my other publications, this consistent emphasis on those four pillars and what collaboration, co-planning, co-teaching, and all the other faces of the collaborative instructional cycle could look like. Uh, so, Joan, did you want to add something to that? I know this was such a such a fun project and, and chapter to write. We even included technology, um, infusion in here, um, contemporary instructional practices, research-informed um, instructional tools. So we had we really tried to bring a cutting-edge chapter to our readers about how co-planning from curriculum mapping, curriculum alignment to the day-to-day -day instructional planning could look like. And that just could look like we have several practitioner researchers and um, uh, practitioners, classroom teachers, educators who provided 
their own experiences through short vignettes, um, their tools, their examples, their student work. So we were very excited to showcase many, many educators from across the United States and beyond who are doing this kind of collaborative planning. I, I believe that one of the most important pieces of what Andrea just noted is the practical tools aspect of the book. So many times we have access to really good written materials, um, publications from experts in the field. And then we're without malintent, we're left with this question of, okay, so what do I do with this information? If I'm out in the field as a teacher on the front line, how do I make this, what I've just learned, transfer into my daily practices? And that is also a piece of this book that sets it apart from other dual language publications is that there is all there are all kinds of really important practical tools peppered throughout every chapter so that people are learning something, stopping, reflecting, thinking about how does this apply to my real world context, and then looking at how can I use this tomorrow? Or how could I use pieces of this tomorrow and pieces next week and other pieces with my long-term goals? It's That is such an important aspect of the book. What sets this apart from other publications focusing on collaboration is how intentional we were about dual language development, dual language learners, dual language classrooms. So in the co-planning chapter, we focus on co-planning for multilingual, multimodal, and multi-level practices and resources. We focus on co-planning for bridging, which is the um, widespread practice in dual language classrooms to invite our students to participate in both languages at the same time so that we're not isolating language practices, but that they are integrated and um, authentic as the students are transferring academic concepts, skills, and also develop metalinguistic awareness and cross-linguistic strategies. So we focus on the bridge a lot. We also focus on planning for translanguaging and planning for academic language and disciplinary literacy. So um, it was so exciting to truly stretch my thinking and the boundaries of, of collaboration and co-planning by virtue of working with Joan. And that's what's in this chapter. It sounds already like a really, really clear, uh, practical chapter of ways to think about co-planning. So thank you for that. Let's move to the next phase, which is about um, co-teaching. Would you talk about that in dual language programs? So uh, building on what we just discussed about the previous chapter, looking at co-teaching, that is one of the perhaps most um, challenging aspects, might we say, just especially if you are sharing a classroom. And the development of a foundational relationship between two professional teachers takes time and it takes strategies that help with clear communication, figuring out teaching styles, figuring out work styles, understanding connections to students. And so much like Andrea's other publications, we look at how those nuances are all developed 
And then in the context of dual language, it's yet a little bit more complex based upon the biliteracy development instead of or in place of monolingual literacy development. The other piece that I want to emphasize here is that we were very strategic in the book to emphasize that co-teaching can happen with multiple program languages and in international contexts as well as contexts in the United States. So perhaps the partner languages don't even include English. It could be something as dual language as Finnish, people learning Finnish and people learning Swedish, right? Whatever those languages are, the partnerships are still there and occupying the same space, thinking about standards, what standards do we need to use? How do we get the, the how do we co-teach so that the students are authentically interacting with each other based on what we as co-teachers are modeling? What do they see from us? So that's a really um, sort of magical aspect of the co-teaching piece. And then in, in, in dual language, other people end up coming into the classroom as well to provide ancillary support services. So how can we elevate their positions in the classroom as well so that everybody is co-teaching and collaborating simultaneously, as opposed to, I'm gonna work over here in my corner in isolation, I'm gonna work over here with this group in isolation, and perhaps specialized instruction happens like that in certain times during the day, but it doesn't It doesn't stay in that, um, that isolating. There's a lot of bridging, a lot of coming together where there's small group, whole group, things like that. Would you give us a specific example of that when you see simultaneous co-teaching in dual language programs to set us a little scenario? So perhaps you have a classroom where the, in the content is math, okay? And the language of delivery for math might be Japanese. And so you may have a Japanese teacher in the classroom and you may have um, an elementary education teacher in the classroom who is is also looking at math, right? Like they're both elementary ed, so they both have math skills and they may both be delivering the instruction about math, but if the math is delivered through Japanese, the Japanese teacher may have worked to co-plan with the other co-teacher to say, okay, how will we really strategically develop the Japanese language as we explore these math concepts. So even though um, in that situation, the Japanese teacher perhaps took the lead during the planning, actually in the classroom, they're both working with whole group at, at some portions of the time, or perhaps they're, they've split, right? And they have two small groups and the Japanese teacher is is working with a particular group of students for whatever reasons they've decided that's necessary and the english speaking teacher is working with a, a particular group of students for whatever reasons they've determined are necessary even though the language of math in that program is through japanese so it's really sort of this ongoing organically developing 
process with some foundational structures in place. Andrea, do you have another scenario that you might like to present or something you've seen? Yes, definitely. So I wanted to just circle back to the way in this chapter we redefine co-teaching again for dual language education. We borrow from Chris Davison's and others terminology from over 20 years ago when they introduced partnership teaching. And we borrow that term and we redefine that construct as something that happens when the two teachers, whichever two teachers they are, the dual language educators or other partner teachers, systematically align their instruction, even if they are not physically in the same classroom. So that was really important for us to not define co-teaching very narrowly, that that type of partnership teaching or collaborative teaching, we were really grappling with these constructs and had to make sure that it makes sense to every type of configuration in dual language education when they co-teach or partnership teach. If they share the students, they work with the same group of students, but maybe one teacher has that group of students in the morning, the other teacher has that group of students in the afternoon. So we have dual language um, configurations in all kinds of ways that allow teachers to work together. And one co-teaching scenario that really comes to mind for me is from Worcester Public Schools. We actually showcased these educators in chapter four. It was so wonderful to have had the opportunity to visit Bridget and Jessica multiple times during the year that we were interviewing and conducting research, as well as continuing with our field-based support for co-teaching and collaboration. And this happens to be a one-way dual language program where all the students are um, Spanish speakers and they are learning English as they are continuing to develop their Spanish language and literacy skills. And during the um, designated time that Bridget is in the classroom, we still observe all the dual language, um, all the core principles of dual language pedagogy and they beautifully bridge and use translanguaging pedagogical choices. In this first grade classroom, there is language attached to motions and songs and chants, lots of, lots of station rotation and opportunities for the students to work in small groups with both teachers, um, being able to participate in a uh, PlayStation where, so to speak, the students in a center where they have inventive um, um, play opportunities. So they develop language as they engage in grade and age appropriate activities. I really appreciate that example that you talked about in Worcester. And I heard, I can see the redefinition of co-teaching as teaching in the same space as to co-serving the educational needs of students wherever you are and wherever they are and so that has really really been helpful and teachers can who are listening who are not in dual language programs can also apply that to uh, their their monolingual programs or their sheltered sheltered english programs where uh, they're working with a content teacher and say how can i serve co how can we co-serve the educational needs of students let's move to the second uh, to last phase which is uh, 
co-assessing. What does co-assessing look like in a dual language program? That is a really important question. Co-assessing in a dual language classroom. There are so many layers of authentic assessment. And in our book, we really give significant emphasis to the work of Margot Gottlieb and all of the things that she has given our field in terms of looking at different ways aside from standardized testing that we can short-term and long-term measure students' goals, right? Measure their language outcomes, measure their content outcomes, look for um, ways to capture all of the things that they can do and the things that they know. When we look at co-assessment in the context of dual language, it's critical that teachers have ongoing conversations, not just with each other, but with other grade level teachers, uh, administrators, all of these um, other professionals in the program who have shared goals, right? That our, 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 our kids were, will, will develop, our kids will grow in language development and, and in content. So it's making sure that when the teachers are co-planning and when they are co-teaching, whether they're occupying the same classroom or not, as you, as you mentioned, co-serving, that they are collaborating about the outcomes. What patterns are they noticing? What shifts do they need to make in the materials that they perhaps have selected to use to promote a particular um, content area goal? or what other shifts in, in the instructional practices need to take place to increase the amount of time that students are, are collaborating and, and co-creating language with each other. So it's very similar to what we would say is co-assessing for English learners. It's just really shifting that mindset to think about how does this work with both languages? How does this work within both languages in the, um, in the program and how do we bridge our topics and our standards so as not to just repeat them, right? That we're, we're talking about something in, in one of the program languages or we're, we're, we're designing instruction that focuses on a standard related to um, a topic. And then the next, at the next portion, when that language development occurs with the, the second partner language, that it's not just an, a repeat of what occurred in the other language, like that it's bridging and building. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. Uh, assessment is uh, assessing as learning. And so we're trying to figure out, oh, okay, here's what students are doing. I see that students are working on this document and they're not really understanding this. What can we do together? And so let's tweak it for the next class. And uh, so that's what you're really saying. That's where collaboration can happen as well. Let's yes. move on to the final stage, which is co-reflecting. What does that look like in a dual language program? We always take an asset-based approach to everything that we do. So when we co-reflect, rather than trying to find, oh, that really did not work, or I forgot something in that lesson, and I could have, should have done something differently, we invite educators to start with that asset-based, strength-based approach. What went well? How can we go from that proverbial, almost proverbial, good to great? So when you start with that um, pivotal piece of appreciating 
What was successful? What was successful for the students? What was successful with the curriculum? What was successful for us as partners? Then we set the tone for a more positive pathway to success because now we celebrate, we acknowledge our successes, and then we ask noticing and wondering questions of each other, what we notice, what we wonder about. If a coach is involved in this collaborative cycle, then the coach can guide the participating educators to also embrace a positive asset-based approach to their own work and to their students' work. And then we go from there by setting attainable goals and also long-term goals, lofty goals that we can work towards. Another um, another layer of reflection also helps us come back to when we make decisions based on our own reflections, who are other people that may benefit from knowing the outcomes of our reflection? And if there are other stakeholders involved, perhaps Andrea and I as co-teachers had this ma- a major discovery that involves the let's say we're third grade teachers and we want to share that with the fourth grade teachers, or we want to share that with the third, the second grade teachers, right? Or the principal or the literacy coach. When we have these reflective moments and these sort of things emerge, how do we then move that reflection forward so that we can share it with other people to say, this was a really important um, light bulb moment in our work together, rather than just keeping that in isolation in our, our own classroom. So it's being able to share that reflection outward. Right. As I'm listening to the podcast and reflecting on what are the themes that are coming up, I keep hearing like when we collaborate in dual language programs, what we're doing is having a common language, common expectations. And so students are uh, have the best of both worlds. And so one language, this language, they're all working together for a common goal. And so that uh, forming that consistent language, consistent expectation is what I'm hearing. And that's what happens through reflection. Let's end the podcast with this. I, we are recording in uh, the early part of January. Just 2023 has just turned, even though this is going to be published in June. Um, we always start the year with well wishes. So from two experts in the field, what well wishes do you hope to give listeners who are in dual language programs to give them inspiration, to give them motivation for the work that they're about to embark on or continue embarking with? That's a really wonderful question as well. Yes, we have just launched 2023. The book is actually out. The book is out now. So my message would be, my well wish would be, um, first of all, know that you're not alone. That is the foundation of collaboration. We can do the heavy lifting when we work together. Working for multilingualism, not just from the literacy development or bioliteracy development aspect, but also from that critical consciousness approach, it's a lot of heavy lifting. And, and the more we work together to do that, the easier and the more fluid those practices become. So I would just say, put your hands on the book, take little steps, celebrate your successes and reach out to us for support. That's why we collaborate. We want to collaborate with you as well. Mine is very similar to uh, my well wishes focus on fully embracing your multilingual, multi-sensory, multimodal, multidimensional teaching and learning practices 
celebrate often and um, and continue to support your students. So I'll end the podcast with this, Joan. You said about heavy, heavy lifting together. I'm going to share a quote, an African proverb that says, um, and this is connected to your idea of collaboration, your, your book about collaboration. When you want to go faster, go alone. When you want to go farther, go together. With this book, you have both helped us go so much farther in our programs. Dr. Lachance, Dr. Hungensfeld, thank you so very much. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you for having us. It was wonderful to talk to you. Looking forward to catching up with you again. Before we recap this episode, I have a favor and an invitation. My favor is to ask you to please review this podcast. My invitation is to check out my three courses on English Learner Portal. One is on creating the conditions for MLs to thrive, one on teacher collaboration, and one based on my co-authored book with Beth Skelton called Long-Term Success for Experienced Multilinguals. Now, on to our recap. This was a paradigm-shifting podcast because mainly my thinking shifted. Of course, I never thought about dual language teachers and English language specialists collaborating. That's because I was under the impression that, for example, the Spanish teacher would teach social studies in Spanish. There's no need for me to collaborate. But after this conversation, I realized that dual language programs create space for translanguaging. So I can translanguage with students as well in English. It's necessary for me to collaborate with Spanish social studies teachers because of the academic language requirements of the tasks. In a similar way that I co-plan a summative with the music teacher, I can do the same with the Spanish social studies teacher. We can co-plan how to make the lesson comprehensible and how to structure the output. I hope this conversation was also a paradigm-shifting conversation for you as well. It seems like every time Andrea writes a book, a paradigm shifts in my own life. Thank you for listening. Be safe and be rooted in peace. It's your turn to play Traffic Light Teaching. Tweet at me either your red, yellow, or green light from this particular episode. 